That final verse, oh, that day when freed from sinning, I shall see thy lovely face, full arrayed in blood-washed linen, how I'll sing thy sovereign grace. Are you looking forward to that day? Say amen. amen. Praise the Lord. You know, it's funny because uh, throughout the week as you prepare a sermon, the one thing that I kind of leave up to the final morning is how to start a sermon. It's just, you know, what's happening in the day, what feels like a good way to start. And I was just talking to Jody about a, a story that I remember when we were first uh, dating, when she was telling me about when she first started driving. And so she was working at church downtown, and one day she got off of work, and she had just gotten her license, and she's trying to find her way home. And she was sharing with me, um, but I got lost. I, I was supposed to go under a certain amount of lights. I lost count because there was a truck in front of me blocking the lights. And I sat there thinking, I'm not sure which way to turn. She said, all of a sudden, a car came from behind her, came in front of her and motioned, follow me. It was my father-in-law. It was her dad. He was getting off of work on the west side, coming through downtown, and saw that Jody had gotten lost downtown. And she said, just follow me. Led her through a way she had never gone through downtown to the entrance to the bridge and followed her and just thought he had given her directions many times said don't forget this is how to get home but how much better is it when someone says you know what just follow me right just follow me and I will get you there so we're talking today about bringing people back about bringing a wanderer home and so this is our final message in James and he, over the time, has given us so many things to think about, which we'll kind of overview in a little while, just what it means to follow Jesus, to put our faith into action. Today's message is called Welcome Home. And our text in a nutshell is this. James closes his letter with a call to bring back wandering believers. This is at the heart of living in gospel-focused community. We should live honestly with our church family. This means sharing our struggles and seeking support and accountability and in pointing out sin in one another's lives. The result is unity based on the grace and power of Jesus Christ. So everyone, our text is James 5, 19 through 20. Now we are going to go on a little bit of a sidetrack as we look at some other uh, scriptures in a moment before we walk through this text, but let's read the text together before we do that. So James 5, 19 through 20 says this, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Our three points this morning are these, firm foundation, prone to wander, and welcome home. And this first point really is laying a foundation for how we are going to interpret and how we are going to apply our text from James chapter 5 today. So I want you guys to come with me in these various texts. Four of the six I'm going to go to are listed, but we're going to, as we used to say back before the turn of the century, let our fingers do the walking. Right? I actually said that to the youth a couple months ago, and they looked at me like, what in the world does that mean? And I realized at that moment that I was an old man. And so, you guys, first, I want you guys to turn to Luke 15, 11 through 32. I'm going to read this full parable. It'll take a couple of minutes, but it's such a wonderful way for us to understand the heart behind bringing a sinner home and the desire we should have to see people restored and the joy we should have when they are. So this is Jesus talking in Luke chapter 15, 11 through 32. 
And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father... I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. And this is the bulk of the story we like to teach and preach and consider when it comes to encouraging someone, you can always come back. And that is always true. However, the story continues in verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And before I just make a couple of points there, I want you to see here at the end of the text in verse uh, 28, he says he was angry and refused to go in. His father came and said, hey, come on in. And he says to his father, he doesn't say father, he doesn't say dad, he is so angry, he says, look, these many years I've served you and you've never given me anything for it. And he says, this son of yours, he went and did these things. He doesn't even own him as his brother. There is nothing in him that is happy to see that his brother has returned. Why? Because he did what he was supposed to do, right? He says, I, my brother left, but I did all the things that he should have been doing. I'm out in the field working all day. I come home. I don't even know there's a party until I hear the dancing. And look, you're celebrating that he's coming back. You ever notice how we can tend to make this parable about the first brother? And yes, so in context, in Luke, there are two other parables right before, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, and then Jesus makes it more real and more applicable to his listeners by saying, you know, we have a wayward son. Now we're talking humans here, right? We have conviction and repentance and a loving father who celebrates his safe return, right? So the application to the wandering sinner is clear. But what about the older brother? His heart is apparently just like the younger one. He wants to be doing exactly what the younger one did. He has no joy to see him come back. 
He's upset because the price of the party, because you know what? Everything left on this property is mine. He already took his, so this party, I'm paying for this party, in essence, is what he's thinking, and wanting a reward for doing what his father assumed he wanted to do. It's like, so his father's, I, I, th- I thought you wanted to be here. So your brother ran off and took the money. You stayed. I thought that's where you wanted to be, but now you want me to celebrate the fact that you're you know, living life, that you're simply you know, being here with me. I thought I was enough. I thought being with your father was enough. And I wanted to say this. Any room full of believers has both brothers in it, representatives of both brothers, right? Folks who have strayed, folks who have returned, folks who do, and folks who judge those folks, right? Either outwardly or in our hearts. How easily we can say, well, they came back, but why did they get to do that thing? That's the problem of the heart, right? Why did they get to? So what's going on here in our hearts where we, where we are trying to live the Christian life, trying to do the right thing, but deep inside there's something that says, wow, they get the best of both worlds, they get to go do their thing, and they get to come back and be forgiven, right? That's the problem with the older brother. And it's a blow to the heart when we realize how pridefully we can consider our own walk with the Lord. So now I want you guys to turn to 1 Corinthians 1.26. 1 Corinthians 1.26. And you have to get there quick because I got a couple of verses for us to look at. So I'm just going to go ahead and start reading. Meet me there, all right? So, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human may boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. If you are walking faithfully with the Lord this morning, that is because of the grace of the Lord in your life right? That is the Lord who has done that for you. He is the one who is carrying you through. Now turn to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We stand in Christ by the grace of God. So the question is, in whom do we boast? And the reason I'm laying this foundation scripturally today is because I want us to consider in our own hearts when there is someone who has wandered, how is our heart set towards them? Do we truly desire to see them restored? Do we truly desire to see what's best for them? And this kind of goes in our discussion from last week about the difference between punishment and discipline, right? I won't review that, but just to bring that to mind. Now, a couple of other points to make uh, here in Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. You can turn there real quick. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. We stand in community for mutual upbuilding. It says this, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day 
drawing near. Coming together as a church family, it helps us to stir one another up, right? When you are together with brothers and sisters who love the Lord, it propels you forward as well. Maybe when you lack motivation, they're just chock full of it and vice versa, right? So when we come together, it's not just, why don't you come to church? Good Christians go to church. You need the church because it's what your heart needs in order to grow in Jesus Christ. That's why we've come together this morning, to celebrate the resurrection, to worship him because he is worthy of all glory and honor and praise and to stir one another up to love and good works. Now go to Matthew 18, 15 through 20. You guys are getting some good mileage on your Bibles today. Matthew 18, 15 through 20. And the point I want to make here is we hold one another accountable and freely receive and offer correction for the good of the body. So Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And then finally, this restoration, this desire to see a follower of Jesus Christ restored to the family, walking in unity with the body, should always be done with a spirit of gentleness and love. And so the final place I'll take you in this first point is Galatians 6, 1 through 5. It says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he has something, when he has nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Now, if that last part there about boast confuses you because of the big point I made about boasting like five minutes ago, just remember this word can be used in different ways. So the, the, the two verses I mentioned earlier, we're talking about may boast right? Here is talking about having a reason to boast. It's kind of like using the word pride in a different way, like don't be prideful or son, I'm so proud of you, right? We can use these words in different ways, but this is just saying, listen, walk with the Lord, take the initiative to walk with the Lord, and then when someone falls, those around them in the church should seek to restore that person with a spirit of anger, no, right? Meanness, no, mean-spiritedness, no, but love and gentleness. Listen, I want to see this person come back to Jesus. I want to see this person restored. So our first point was simply laying a firm foundation. Our next point is this, prone to wander. Verse 19, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, now, 
I should have said this to you a moment ago. We're back in James 5, 19 through 20. So now we're in our actual text for the message today. So James 5, 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, I just want to point out from the very beginning, he's talking to brothers. He has been the entire time. This letter, as we've been saying for three summers now, this letter is a letter to the church. People who have been dispersed, they've been separated out from the church at Jerusalem, where James is the pastor and the leader of that that church, right? So it's for saved people. He's writing to people who love the Lord. Um, there is one section that we covered maybe three weeks ago, the warning to the rich that we're oppressing the poor believers. That is the one section of this whole book that's not addressed to, to believers in Jesus Christ. That was more of that prophetic warning and that the believers got to hear this warning. It was encouraging to say, the judgment is coming for the way that these people are treating you. Right? But other than that, every other section, every other exhortation that James gives, every other piece of discipleship and direction is for believers in Jesus Christ. And he's talking to people who wander, who are led astray. And I want to say this, so he's assuming that the people he's talking to are saved, but you never assume that a room full of people, just because they've gathered to hear the word of God, are all in Christ Jesus. Never assume, okay, you're here, what else would you be doing on a Sunday morning? You must be a Christian, right? You never assume that. So you're preaching to the church, and at the same time, preaching the gospel and keeping it clear that, that someone may come to know him this morning. So he says in the text, he said, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back. So wandering. Have you ever wandered before? And sometimes in a good way. I remember one time we went, when I lived in Houston, we used to go have picnics at the Brazos River in Houston. And as an area, I think it was called Brazos Bend State Park. Me and my brothers, I was probably eight or nine, they were in their early teens. We went for a walk with my cousins in the woods, and we got horribly lost. I mean, this was Lord of the Flies level, like a bunch of teenage boys trying to figure out how we're going to run our government. That's how lost we were, you know? It was terrifying. We wandered off the path, I mean, as young boys might tend to do. And I just remember hearing the voices of my parents and my uncle and aunt and the park ranger who they had called and saying, whew, okay, we're safe, right? Have you ever wandered? Sometimes for, no, for you know, not on purpose, Sometimes we wander fully knowing that we are wandering from the truth. I want to remind you at this point that James overlaps with Proverbs. We've talked about that over the time, haven't we? Overlapping with Proverbs 1 through 9 and also through the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5 through 7. Proverbs 4, 25 through 27 says this, Let your eyes look directly forward. Let your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Do not look to the right or to the left. The opposite of wandering would be following the path, right? We just talked about John Bunyan, you know, a couple of Wednesdays ago about the importance of, in Pilgrim's Progress of Christians staying on the path. And every time he wanders, things don't go well, right? So we're talking about people who wander from the truth. Now, James has been very diligent for five chapters of this letter to share the truth with us. And I think it's really important to note that he says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and brings him back, he's talking about the importance of saving someone from their own wandering, saving someone from their own sin. This letter, then, we see in the final two verses, he's giving you the purpose of writing the letter in the first place. He's been saying to believers, listen, some of you are wandering in this way. Some of you are wandering in this way. So I am writing a letter to bring a wanderer back. 
I'm trying to save you a load of trouble. I'm trying to save your soul from damnation, and I'm also trying to save you from, from difficulty and a multitude of sins. So in saying to the church, bring back wanderers, that's what he's doing. He's summarizing the letter at this point. And so I want you to see, let me just, I think you'll be kind of blown away by the number of topics, of discipleship topics that have been covered just in these five short chapters. Be patient in trials. Ask the Lord for wisdom, and he'll give it to you. Pray with expectancy and faith. Realize that our own hearts are the ones that lead us astray. Realize that anything good is from the Lord. Do what the word says, don't just hear it. Visit and help widows and orphans in their affliction. Don't play favorites. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let your faith in Christ be evident by your life. Faith without works is dead. Be careful to control your tongue. Jealousy and selfish ambition, etc. are evil. The wisdom of this world is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Wisdom from above is peaceful, open to reason, impartial and sincere. Don't boast about your future, but seek to follow the Lord and do his will. If you are in a conflict, realize that your, your bent is towards blaming the other person, but you need to get the log out of your own eye. Don't speak evil against people. Judgment is coming for those that oppress the weak, the poor, and the less fortunate. Be patient in suffering and trust the Lord. Do not invoke God's name simply to put an extra stamp of trustworthiness in your words, but live a life of integrity. Prayer and praise are to be our first response to the events of our lives. Call, to help in to- call for help in times of difficulty for prayer and ministry. Don't isolate yourself from the body. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, and we land up here, help to restore brothers and sisters who stray from the will of God. That's good stuff. This is comprehensive, isn't it? When it comes to discipling people, there are certain books you can go to, and praise the Lord, we have the whole canon, and all scripture is breathed out by God, is good for training and for proof and teaching and righteousness. Amen. But you know, if all you had was the book of James, you could help someone be a Christian pretty well. Right? Say, listen, let's go through the book of James together. And by the end, you're going to have a pretty good picture of what it means to follow Jesus. There's so many things that we've been given. It's so rich. So he calls us to a God-centered, faith-filled life of worship through living out God's word. It serves to shape our thoughts and our hearts towards the one we desire to emulate, and that is Jesus Christ. And so I want you guys to consider for a moment, what does it look like to wander? I think when we consider what it means to wander from the truth, a lot of times we can have the big things come to mind, right? That one person in our life that really made train wreck or still is. That one person I haven't heard from for years and what are they even up to, right? So it's easy to make this picture in your head, oh, this, this, she left her husband and kids for someone else. That is major, right? That's, that's some wandering. Someone gives himself over to drunkenness or drugs and just lets everything else go. Someone denies the faith and lives as an unbeliever. And it may be easy to say, you know, there's not really someone in my life that that is really in that boat or not someone that I know all that well. So certainly this text isn't for me. I'm not going to be the one to go bring that guy back. I mean, but the journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step, doesn't it? Wandering to find yourself in that kind of trouble starts with simply a couple of steps off of the path. Right? For your child to wind up on 95 wandering around without any shoes on means first they're going to have to have wandered out of your living room. Right? Stuff has to happen for them to get to that point. And so the wanderer 
can be brought back at any stage. And that's why we need to be sensitive to the lives of one another. We need to understand what's going on in each other's lives and be willing to speak a word before they wind up 10 miles down the road to say, I'm noticing this in your life. I feel like this is bad for you. You need to repent. You need to turn. You need to make this right to be loving enough to do such a thing, not just to be your friend's yes man because you're scared they'll be mad at you, but to love them enough to look them in the eye and tell them the truth. So the heart of this text is not simply pointing to big, really, really bad sinful situations. It's pointing to the everyday as well. Consider, haven't you ever wandered from the truth? And have you ever watched a friend turn away and start wandering away from the Lord? Maybe chasing a goal that you know, like, what are you doing? Your life, I mean, what are you doing? This will not be good for your family. This will not be good for you. Getting priorities out of whack. Talking to your wife or kids with contempt or anger. Like, whoa, what was that? What are you doing, man? What was that? Being rude to the server after church when you go out to lunch, you know, right after this? Or, no, there's a potluck. Don't forget that. Every other Sunday, however maybe fudging on your taxes just a little bit, spending too much time, or being you know, too personal with a coworker that's not your spouse. Bro, what is that text? Why is she texting you without someone else on the thread? What's going on here? You know, to help them from wandering before they're 10 miles down the road, watching things that are immoral on their phone, on their computer, on their whichever device that'll lead them down a dangerous path, complaining, blaming, gossiping, insulting, Aren't these things more common? I think now we can say, you know, there are people in my life that I feel like, yeah, there are some things that are going to be damaging to them, to bring someone back, to tell them the truth. So what if someone wanders from the truth? What is to be our response? You know, the older brother, what was his response? Well, he's gone. Looks like it's all on me now to be the good one. It's all on me to be the one doing the right thing. Whatever, must be nice. You go do whatever you want. Right? So it's easy in our flesh to write someone off. Well, I mean, we'll be here if you want to come back. Whatever, bro. Right? To be judgmental, to even dwell in a feeling of superiority. But I want you to consider these verses. We won't turn there or even quote them directly, but what do you have that you've not been given? It's so easy to say, well, this person got themselves, they dug themselves in a hole. But me, I've made a a series of wise decisions. You know, and that's why I'm here. No, 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 no. The Lord has given you the grace to be where you are today. And yes, you have worked, you have toiled, you have sacrificed, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, you don't have anything that the Lord has not given you and blessed you with. And that could be you. But for the grace of God, that person in that situation could just as easily be you. So be careful if you think you stand. And every good and perfect gift is from the Lord. We must love someone enough to tell, to, to, to tell them and to bring them back. So the first verse tells us what to do, okay? It says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and brings them back. It's a funny place to put a number, but that first, that first verse there is just like, bring them back, okay? The second verse tells us why. So our third point is this, welcome home. And the scripture says, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And I just, first of all, on the surface, I feel like this is an interesting order of events. He says, if you've brought someone back, tell him that's a good thing, 
right? Not necessarily, let's not convince the person, hey, I want, I want to convince this person to go and do the right thing because this will result. How, instead, it's saying, if you've done this, let the person know this was good. This was honoring to the Lord. And I think there's a distinction to be made there, and I think it's important that we make that distinction because the assumption is the heart is already there. The assumption is I already, I want to see my brother and I want to see my sister. I want to see people come back and be restored in their relationship with the Lord. And it says if someone wanders and someone brings them back, let the one who has done this know how beneficial it was. Bringing back the wandering sinner now, Here's one of those things that James says that is assuming there's believers listening and is not going to take him wrong and not go off into bad doctrine. He says, bringing the person back saves a soul from death. Right? Red flag. Beep, 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 beep. Whoa, 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 whoa. I thought we're talking to believers here. We are. We're talking to believers. James is not saying that you can earn your own salvation. He's not saying that you, if you go get some, a believer to repent and bring them back, you in some way have saved their soul. Only Jesus can save a soul, right? We know that to be the truth, right? But the word there for soul is psychin, and it can be translated soul, life, or person. Saves a life from death. Saves a person from death. You may say, you know, there wasn't a soul to be seen, Right? We're not saying that we're expecting to see everyone's souls floating around. We're saying there's no people there, right? There's not a soul around. However, there is still spiritual implications that we need to deal with here. It's verses like this that remind us that we have to turn to Scripture to interpret Scripture, right? The rule of faith that we talked about last week, the rule of faith is that Scripture, if it speaks to something, it is correct. And so let's compile kind of just a couple of verses that remind us, right? Not of works, lest anyone should boast. We just read that a few minutes ago. Jesus says, no one will pluck them out of my hand. He who's begun a good work in you will complete it. There is no condemnation in Christ. So there is overwhelming biblical evidence that it's not that you are going to go and save somebody's soul. But... Think back to Matthew 18, what Jesus says there. He says, if the person goes through all these steps, you go talk to them, I don't care, leave me alone. You come back with two or three witnesses, I don't care, leave me alone. Bring it before the church, you know what? I'm not going to repent. He says what? Treat them like an unbeliever. At some point, if the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, correction is going to resonate with your heart. That's one of the main ways that God shapes us and molds us is within the body of Christ with other believers. So if someone sees you and tries to bring you back from wandering and says, I see this in your life, and you're like, I don't get it, whatever. There's a problem there. It may expose that someone within the church is not a believer. And so in that way, if the person repents, comes back and desires to follow Jesus, comes back to the church and says, I want to follow Jesus, it may be that that person gets saved. But at the same time, It vindicates that someone is a believer when someone repents and responds to correction, right? So remember, you know, we're we're living in this already not yet period. We have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved, right? He who perseveres is the one, right, that's going to spend eternity with him. Not that it's under your own power, but that perseverance is a picture, right? We talked about this last summer. Faith without works is dead. If there's no works there, there was no faith in the first place. You know, I've had that a couple of times in pastoral counseling over the years. Not here, actually, but in previous contexts, I can remember two very large men in different times putting fingers in my face and yelling at me because of something I said. 
and 30 minutes later hugging me and being like, bro, thank you for being patient and telling me the truth. I can also remember one situation where a guy blew up on me and that was it, never came back. Very telling. If the Holy Spirit lives within somebody, they're going to resonate with the ministry of the word. When you lay something at somebody's heart and say, this is going on in your life and you need to deal with it, it may not be that they have a great reaction right away, but it's going to work. It's going to work itself out. They come back and say, you know what? I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have blown up. That's just, you know, that's my thing and I need to deal with that. But you were right. What do we do? Right? And that's so important that we understand that. And so to say save a soul from death, there are these spiritual implications. But remember, we always have a theocentric or a God-centered view of everything. Whenever you interpret scripture and you see something like that, don't, you know, default to a man-centered interpretation of it. Oh, it looks like I saved people. No, you don't. But God can use you in that work that's going on in their lives. So it vindicates, it proves that he belongs to God. So finally, the last part of verse 20 says this. So it says, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Again, you are not literally going to cover someone's sins, right? It's the blood of Christ that covers us and covers our sin. But I do want to remind you, when we, when we did a message out of um, Proverbs a while back, we talked about not turning to the right or the left. You think about this. If I was going to walk 10 miles and I had a place that I want to go or 100 miles in this direction, if I simply turn this much and go in a direct straight line, I'm going to wind up really far from my intended destination, right? When you talk to pilots, they'll tell you that kind of thing as well. You get off a little bit, you're going to wind up in the wrong city, right? So we have to understand that if you bring somebody back somewhere on that path, you are protecting them from a multitude of problems. If you call them to repentance somewhere earlier on that wrong path, they're going to wind up at least in the right state or in the right area, right? Bring them back to the path and eventually where they need to be. And if they turn south, they're going to wind up in Alaska, right? And nobody wants that. You know, that's just crazy talk right there. So I'm also think about like just things in their lives. I mean, you think about destinations, but you know, headed towards shipwreck or a dumpster fire or some terrible disaster in life when you're trying to head towards, you know, this eternity with the Lord, right? And still, if you turn south, you wind up in Alaska. But (laughs) I had to have at least one of those in there for the day, right? But so just remember, guys, it's the one who saves a soul from death. Consider what results from pulling someone from the wrong path. It's about the trajectory, the return of a sinner to fellowship with the Lord. When we are in fellowship, we're bearing fruit of the Spirit and we avoid the works of the flesh, Galatians 5. It results in the forgiveness of sins, literally covered by the blood of Christ. It prevents further sin that would occur if the person continues wandering and sins that other people may be doing as well because that guy is on the wrong path and influencing others. It covers a multitude of sins. When you bring somebody back, it can, it can cover either an, uh, an escalation or a continuation of somebody's sinful ways, right? Just living this, you know, low, low-grade fever of a sinful life or a life that's just getting worse and worse and worse. When you call that person back, welcome them back to the family with rejoicing, right? That's when you cover a multitude of sins, 
And so finally, Nathan and David. I just want to share a little bit from 2 Samuel 12, uh, starting in verse 9. So we know what happens in the story. David has sinned egregiously, and he spent a whole year acting like nothing ever happened, except not in his own heart. It's killing him inside. Nathan comes to David. He says, why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Skipping ahead a few verses, he says, and David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Someone looks him in the eye and says, listen, you are the guy. You are the guy who has sinned. You are the one causing all of this trouble and you need to repent. And the answer is repentance. So you can jot this down if you're not aware, but Psalm 51 is his psalm of repentance. It's a good place for you today. If you're, in a, if you're in a place in life where you know what, I am way off track to pray that psalm the minute you get to your car or to your house, get quiet and read the Psalm 51 and pray it to the Lord. So he, he, he enjoys this forgiveness from the Lord. And then Psalm 32 is his great psalm of thanksgiving that he has been restored, that he has been forgiven by the grace of God, that the Lord has forgiven him in his repentance. And I want to just close with Psalm 32. Because to save a soul from death, I want you to consider the way David describes himself when he was running, when he was in unrepentant sin. It sounds a lot like dying to me. It sounds a lot like this, this place where I just, I don't want to be there anymore. Listen, Psalm 32, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin, Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance, Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. If you are running today in a room this size, there's people wandering. Just be honest with yourself. Is there something that you've allowed to creep into your life or that you have pursued, even though you know that it's the worst thing for you, for your marriage, for your kids, for your job, whatever, for your community, whatever that is? You can repent now, and you need to. Don't say it's going to be later today, it's going to be next Wednesday. Stop it. And if you need help, ask somebody. There are people here that desire to live this out if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. That's a desire of a believer. No one will turn you away, right? You are not alone. There's no temptation taking you such as uncommon to man. So trust him. We live in a broken world and fully deserve an eternity of separation in a very real place called hell if you are outside of Christ. 
But God, being rich in mercy, he sent Jesus Christ to live a perfect life that we could never live, to die a death on the cross that you and I justly deserve to die. Three days later, he rose again, conquering sin and death and the grave. And he says, follow me. Repent of your sin and follow me. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. You are so good to us, Lord. And we thank you for the gift of grace. Unmerited favor that we could never deserve, that was purchased for us in the perfect life, in the death on the cross, and the victorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for any today that are struggling. I pray for folks today who, are, who have someone in mind. says, you know, that person is running. Lord, give them the desire, give them the courage and, and the strength to reach out. Even just shoot a text, shoot an email, just to comment on something, just to open a relationship that they could call a friend that they love to repentance, to, to be restored, to follow you, to, 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 to be restored as a worshiper of you within the body. Lord, we just love you. We give all of the, all of the glory uh, that only you deserve, Lord. We point to you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.